thank you tonight for the opportunity to worship you. And we do come here with sincere hearts because we do want to surrender all to you. But we acknowledge, just as we did to be saved, we acknowledge our utter dependence upon you and the Holy Spirit to surrender all of our lives. And Lord, it can be scary because there are parts of our lives we've been used to and we want to hold on to. And our flesh is just trained and it's imbued in our flesh to hold on to the control. But Lord, we're asking you tonight to help us. And part of that, Lord, we recognize in your word is to learn to be transformed by renewing our mind to your word. And so, Father, as we prepare to open the word and to, to, to study this word together, we're asking you for understanding. Your word tells us to get understanding and with understanding to get more understanding because it's by that understanding that we can apply your principles to our everyday life. And as we live them out, that's how our life will be changed. And so we're asking the Holy Spirit tonight to take these words, to anoint them to our hearts, breathe on them into our hearts so we may leave here, not with more information, but we may leave here with more understanding that we can then apply in our lives and allow the Spirit of God to bring that change that you desire and you've ordained for us. And for that we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And of course we're learning about renewing the mind. And we've seen that uh, the key scripture, of course, is in uh, Romans 12, uh, verse 2, which says, Therefore, brethren, uh, to, not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we may prove or display what is the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. And we saw in the very beginning that what we're not to do is to be conformed to this world. And the word conformed in Greek means to be allow the world's pressure, to pressure you in so that even though the kingdom of God and the life of God is on the inside of you, it never comes to the outside because you're so taken up with the worries of this world. We think along the same lines of this world. We're under the influences of this world and therefore we're under the influences of the God of this world. And the Bible tells us that Satan. So although he couldn't stop you from being saved, what he wants to do is stop that salvation that's on the inside of you from working its way to the outside of you so that it not only affects your life but affects the life of others so that we're not able to be an effective witness so that our testimony, our witnesses is restricted. But what we are to do instead is to be transformed and the word transformed is a different Greek word which literally means if you break it down to take what's on the inside of you, what your inner nature is and bring that to the outside so that it can be seen, that it can affect your life and the life of other people. And then the Bible tells us in that verse the way that happens is by the renewing of our mind. And that's the purpose for which we're studying all this. And then we've learned to locate where our mind is, that we're made up of two part, two, three parts from two different kingdoms. One kingdom is the kingdom of this world, the material world, and your body comes from that world, this part. Your spirit man, which is the real you, which was born again, which is where the life of God, the kingdom of God is in you. As much as it was in Jesus, it is in you, and that is on, in your spirit man, which comes obviously from the spirit realm. But then we found that the spirit realm and the, and the material realm cannot naturally communicate with each other. So God gave us a third part called our soul. And it's the bridge between our spirit man and our, in our uh, body, in our, our physical natural man. And our soul is made up of three parts. Our mind, our will, and our emotions. And they work together. And your will, your mind, and your emotions work together to influence your will because your will is what determines what you will do. Your will is what determines how much of the kingdom of God is going to come out of you. Your, your will really determines everything that God's able to do in your life or what the devil's able to do in your life. And so, but they work through your mind. So the battle is for your will, 
but the battlefield where that's fought is in your mind and with your thinking. And then last time we began to look at your mind and how it works. And this is not a scientific study. I've got books that people have given me about the left side of the brain and the right side and the synapses and the chemicals and all that stuff. And that's fine, but that's not very practical for how we're operating. But to learn how our mind functions and how God designed our mind to function. And this is where understanding comes in because as we go through this, I'm trusting that you're going to get a deeper understanding of how your own mind works because you can't renew it if you can't control it. In order to control it, you've got to know how it works. And so that's why we're breaking this down. And so we went into this passage, which you've turned to, but I haven't yet, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Now I'm going to read it in the New King James, but we looked at it last week. I don't know if they still have it, but we looked at it last week in the King James, and I'll show you what the difference is once I find it. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Okay, well, it's on the board. That's good. Verse 3, For we walk not in the flesh, that walk means we live our life, we conduct ourselves, not in the flesh, that's the body part of us, and we do not war according to the flesh. And this is where the church gets in trouble a lot because we try to fight the issues that we're faced with with the weapons of flesh which is all the world has to operate. So we get mad, we get upset, we take things into our own flesh and try to deal with them. When Paul's talking here, if you go back a verse, he's talking about a spiritual fight. For though we do not walk in the flesh, for although we walk in the flesh, we live in this flesh, we don't war according to this flesh. So there's a war going on. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or not of the flesh, but they're mighty in God or through God for the pulling down of strongholds. We're going to look at that later on, that they're mighty in God. God's given us weapons. When we finish going through understanding how your mind works, we're going to begin to look at the weapons that God's given to us and understand that these are mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. But before we do that, we've got to understand what the strongholds are and how they're made up. For the pulling down of strongholds, casting down, the New King James says, arguments. But the King James says imaginations. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So last week we looked in here and we found that there's three distinct things that Paul's talking about here. There's thoughts, imaginations, and strongholds. And your mind works in these things. And we began to look at the very basic element of them, which is, which is thoughts. Now, I've read other books that are written, and I'm not sure I've read all of them, but I've read some of the classic books that are out there on Renewing the Mind, and what they deal with is imaginations and strongholds, but they don't deal with what is the root of it and how to change it. And so Paul says here, that because and, and in here they're in, reverse, they're in reverse order. So he talks about thoughts, and we talked last week about them. The basic unit that your mind works with is thoughts. Everything your mind does is with thoughts. And your mind works in patterns of thoughts. And that may be a little strange to you because some of you aren't even aware that your mind works. It just works. It's just running all the time and your mind is always working. Whether you're awake or you're asleep, you know, if you think you're sitting there zoned out, it's still doing something because it's monitoring your body. It's monitoring whether you're tired, whether you're hungry, whether you're cold, whether you're, whether you're warm. It's monitoring things. It's running all the time. Sometimes it's kind of running behind the scenes like our computers do, and sometimes it's running right out in the front. But it's always running, and it runs in terms of thoughts. 
And this can be hard to recognize because those thoughts can be instantaneous. They can be in microseconds, so you don't even realize you've strung a whole series of thoughts together and you don't know that your mind collected them together. So the basic unit with which your mind works is thoughts. And then the next stage is imaginations. And so that's where the word, uh, the word argument here that's in the New King James and in some other translations of the King James is imaginations. And it's a word that means to take a series of thoughts together and to form a concept or idea. It's like a doctrine or a teaching. And so we are living in a world, this is a great example of this, that has a whole philosophy of life, a whole philosophy, a world, a world view is one of the common terms. And the world view today is there is no God. In fact, I've just finished reading a book written by a man that's, that, that is a devout Christian, and he went around and interviewing some of the leading minds of today. And it's scary where they're headed, because once you unplug your thinking from God, there's no limit on how far down the road you can go. Even to the point that there is now a movement in universities that believes that once they begin to teach, that some forms of animals are more valuable than man. There are some animals that they say are more intelligent than some men. Than not just some men, but some men. And you can tell where it's going to head. Because it's going to head where anybody that's infirm, anybody that's too old or that's, that's handicapped are not productive in society. And therefore, and there's some animals that are more... And it's going to end up with... And there's a whole philosophy out there that all, man, all men, mankind really is, is twitching meat. We're nothing but meat and chemicals and, electro, and electrical impulses. That their soul is just a matter of emotions that are collected together. Uh, this, is where the, this is where the world's in the university's thinking already is. It's already there. It's already there. Because when you take God out of the equation and man starts analyzing himself, it's going to go downhill fast. But because that's out there, those begin to form. That all comes from a worldview that man's on top of it and there's no God. And this is why it's important to understand what your worldview is. And our worldview is God, there is one God, and He is the creator of all things. And He is the ultimate judge over all things. And if you have that foundation in the, that, that, that man is, is inherently sinful in our flesh, and that Jesus has come, a sinless Son of God, born of a virgin, to die for our sins and pay for our sins so that He could redeem us, and by putting your faith in Him, you can be saved and be given His righteousness. That's our worldview. That's the gospel. When you step out aside of that, you step out into a limitless, limitless thinking that is in error. And so what happens is there's a world system out there and that's what the church is running into or it's running into us trying to impose itself on us and it's a way of thinking patterns of thinking so the world word word here arguments is a word that means a series of of thoughts put together to state something and so i like the word imagination because it fits more directly in with what we're teaching here imagination is nothing more than a mosaic of thoughts. If you've ever seen a mosaic in, in the floor of a, of a place, or you've ever seen a, 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 a... It's made up of a series of little tiles that each tile in and of itself... Better example, a jigsaw puzzle. 
All right? You get, you, you get this jigsaw puzzle, you know, maybe you're on vacation with your family, and you're staying somewhere, you bought this thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle, and on the front it has the picture of this beautiful scene, and you dump it out and say, what in the world have I done? <laughs> Uh, and it's these thousand tiny little pieces in these squares. And all, if you look at the face of them, there's this little color here on the edge. And remember, think that when you put the whole thing together, it's a series of little tiles. Each one contributes to an overall image. Everybody with me so far? And you've got to get the right tile in the right place to get the right image. And so that's what an imagination is. It's just an image that's formed in your mind. And it's important to understand this aspect of it. Okay. Now, let's go back to thoughts, because I've got to cover something. This is very important. We ended with this last time, but I want to go back over it. It's the basic unit of, of, that your mind uses. And th- thought, in order to renew your mind, you're going to have to learn to change your thoughts. That's the simple process we're going to learn. But to, le- to change your thoughts, you've got to be able to identify them. And then you've got to know what to do with them. But the thought is the basic thing your mind works with. Okay. Uh, now here's a principle. I think I said this before. It's not what you see or hear that affects you, but it's the thought about it that follows. So you find out that they're handing out pink slips at work. That's all you know. You don't know you're getting one. But your mind begins to picture, think about this and puts a picture together, and then you begin to have an emotional reaction to that picture. So your mind works in patterns of thoughts. So it's not what happens to you that affects you. It's what you think about what happens to you that affects you. So that's why learning to identify the thoughts that are in your mind and controlling the thoughts that are going into your mind is the absolute key to this change process that we're going to talk about. Okay. Thoughts come from your spirit. They come from demons. They come from your own mind. And they can come from other people. And often they're unnoticed. And then I taught you this principle. The thought is not yours until you accept ownership of it. And here's where that's important. Just because you've had the thought doesn't mean it's yours. I'm going to say that again. Just because you've had the thought doesn't mean it's yours. It's not yours until you accept ownership of it. I gave you an example last week. This afternoon, I had a beautiful example of this. I had to go home because we had some repairs being done to our house, and as I'm there, I'm seeing a brown truck go by. And we live in a corner lot. He went this way, and then he went over this way, and he disappeared, so I didn't think any of it. Next thing I know, our doorbell rang. Ding dong. And we got two doors, so I got to figure out which one it was, and my wife says, he's at the, this, the, the door by our driveway. So I go over there, and here's a guy in a brown suit with a package for me. At this point, it's still his package. And I have the right to say, take a look at it and say, no, I don't want it. And he's got to take it back. In fact, what he said to me is he said, oh, I'm so glad you're home because this type of package, I can't leave here. If you don't sign, oh, this is a perfect example. Thank you, Lord. That happened today just for this. He said, if you don't sign for this, I have to take it back. Now, that was because of the nature of what was in the package. So what did I do? He says, I think I know what it is. It was a check order, order some new checks. And I said, so I looked at it, and I saw the name of our bank on it, so I knew it was what we'd ordered. And so then I signed for it. But if I hadn't signed for it, he had to take it back. And so I have the right to choose what comes into my house. 
In fact, I not only have the right, I have the responsibility to choose what comes into my house. And they can't just back the UPS truck up here and start unloading stuff in my driveway or in my garage. If I don't want it, they got to take it back because it's my house that I have dominion over and I have responsibility over. But most of us, our instinct is the doorbell rings, ding dong, we open the door, they hand us a package and we take it. We sign for it and then we figure out what it is. The problem is, it's already yours. And so what we learned last week is, is when it, that's one thing when it comes to packages from UPS or, or any of the other delivery services. I'm not singling them out. But, but, but when it comes to thoughts, we're going to learn this. Every thought has a purpose. If it's come from God, it has a purpose. If it's come from the devil, it has a purpose. And every thought is somewhere going to be part of an imagination that's formed in your mind. And then what we're going to learn is if you don't deal with the imagination, it becomes a stronghold. And so those strongholds that control your life start with thoughts. So in order to renew your mind, you've got to be able to recognize the thought at the place where you're going to accept ownership of, of it and decide whether you want to keep it or not. And the way you decide whether you want to keep it or not is you look at the return address. You look at who sent it. Because right away you know if God sent it, it's something you want. If the devil sent it, we know from John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only. Let's put it this way. The thief gives you thoughts only to steal, to kill, or destroy. So I got to decide, if I look at the return address on that package, and it says hell on there, I got to decide if I want this to steal, kill, or destroy something in my life or my family. And if I don't, I don't sign for it. You have the right, and in fact you have the responsibility and we're going to see that in a couple of verses. You have the responsibility to check every thought against a standard to decide whether you're going to let that thought in there. But most people don't know they have the right to say no. And in fact, understand this. Satan is very crafty. He's a deceiver. And so one of his devices is to give you some nasty thought, some impure thought, some thought you know is wrong, and follow that up with a second thought. What kind of Christian are you for having that thought? Because what he's trying to get you to do is sign for it. Because he knows once it's in the house, once it's in your mind, it'll begin to work and it's going to be hard to get rid of. I told you the story at the end of last week of, of my brother. Uh, who uh, and, and I wasn't there, cause I, so I'm just going on the story was told me. But he was having some project, science project at school that required him to have a, some kind of a bullfrog from a test facility. And so he ordered a bullfrog. And from what I understand from the story is it was from somewhere way down south, Louisiana or somewhere like that, where they're big. And because they went fourth-class mail with holes in it, they knew that there was kind of a high mortality rate, so they put four of them in there. And he didn't know that. And the package arrives, and either he or my mother signed for it, and then they open the package. Well, you can only imagine... If you've got this big bullfrog, four big bullfrogs living in close communion with one another, boxed up in there for however long it was, and the lid comes off, and they've got an opportunity 
to get out of that box, you know what they're going to do. And that's what they did. There were four bullfrogs jumping all over that house with one determined purpose. They were not going back in that box. And they knew if my brother or my mother or any of my other brothers got their hands on these bullfrogs, they were going in some kind of container. And all they knew is they were free and they were not going back. And that's what happens when you let a thought in your mind that doesn't belong there. It's like trying to catch a box of Louisiana bullfrogs and get them under control and get them back outside. It's a whole lot easier to stop them at the door well, door space, when you haven't received the package and opened the package yet. That's the time to determine whether you want that in your house or not. That's the time to determine whether you want that thought in your mind or not, because once you let it in there, it's a whole lot easier to get rid of it. I can still remember things I saw as a child that I never should have looked at, and that mem- everything you've ever seen, everything you've ever heard, every smell you've ever smelled, everything is stored in your brain, every thought you've ever had, is in there. You may not have thought of it for a while, but the devil will pull it back up at just the right moment and try to parade it before your consciousness just to condemn you with that thought. But if you never let it in there, he can't pull it back up. So we need to understand the seriousness of controlling those thoughts and what we're going to let in. Now we're going to learn that's not something you master overnight if you've not been practicing it, especially if you're not even used to recognizing you're having thoughts. But I'm going to teach you a technique so that it begins by learning how to identify what you're thinking about. Not to become self-conscious of each other, of ourselves, but be aware, self-aware of my thoughts so you have the choice of deciding, am I going to keep this or not? But here, the point here is, just because that thought's in your mind doesn't mean it belongs to you yet. You have the right to take authority over it and say no. And again, one of Satan's devices is to throw this thought at you and then behind that say, look at the kind of Christian you are for having these kind of thoughts. Because what he's trying to do is to get you to love Lower your defenses by condemning you, by saying, oh, what a terrible Christian you are. I was sharing with somebody today. There are times coming over, just coming over here. He can't get us into a fight with each other, so what he's going to try to do is get me into a fight with myself by thinking, you know what, what kind of pastor are you? You're failing at this. You're failing at this. And if I listen to those thoughts, all, all my confidence, all my energy will drain right out of me. And I've been walking with the Lord for 38 years. But if I don't stop those thoughts, and sometimes I don't recognize it right away because I'm busy until I begin to feel this emotion of, oh my goodness, I don't feel courage to go to church tonight. No, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Something's wrong here. And I'll go back as I taught you. I'll go back and retrace my thought. Wait a minute. How did I get to this place? What have I been thinking about lately? And when I reckon, that's what I've been thinking about. No, that's not the truth. I know where those thoughts have been coming from. They're not real. So I've got to answer those thoughts, and we'll talk about how to do that. But the whole point here is, it starts with the thoughts. It starts with the thoughts. It starts with the thoughts. Okay. All right. Now imaginations. It's made up of a series of thoughts which over time paint a picture. Like a like a jigsaw puzzle. A number of years ago, I don't know how I discovered this, but I decided to take a look at a newspaper picture in a newspaper with a magnifying glass. And if you ever do that, what you'll notice is it's made up of a series of dots. It's not just a picture. 
The picture is a series of dots in different levels of gray, if it's a black and white picture. And the real light ones look like it's background, and then, and it's just different, le- and they're all arranged in such a way so that as you step back from it very far, you don't see the dots, you just see the, the picture that those collection of dots put together. If you've ever looked very closely at a TV screen, I don't know about the new ones now, but if you, it's a series of, of dots that are illuminated. Because what they do, in the, and I'm assuming it works the same way, but in the studio when they film it, 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 it takes the physical image that, of light and it goes through a lens and it's converted into electrical impulses which then get converted into, well nowadays it's all cable, but electromagnetic waves which your antenna picks up which most people don't have anymore. And then, but somehow when it gets back to your TV set, it gets reconverted into electronic impulses that light up, there's a beam that goes across your screen, which goes so fast you can't see it. Unless, have you ever watched a TV on a TV? And what you'll see is lines going up. And Mike back there can probably explain it to our media, can probably explain it to you more than I. What you're seeing is this ray goes back and forth, and I don't remember how many, how many times a minute, but that's what HDTV is. There's twice as many lines of it. And it goes it's fa- faster. But the point is this. You're, what looks to you like a picture, like somebody's face or a beautiful scene, is nothing more than a series of dots that are being lit up by this ray that's going back and forth. Across, now with LED TVs, I don't know. It doesn't, I mean, probably doesn't work that way. But the, but the older TVs, that's how it worked. So it's a ser- the point here is, is this image is nothing more than a series of dots put together in a pattern that creates an image to you. And the images in your mind are nothing more than a series of thoughts that are collected together very purposefully to form a picture in your mind. And those pictures affect us. We react to images of things. I think I mentioned last week, if I tell you Apple, I don't mean the the computer company, you know, the fruit, Apple, you're not going to think, you're most likely, your mind's not going to see A-P-P-L-E. You're going to picture something. You're going to picture whatever an apple means to you. It may be a beautiful green, uh, uh, delicious apple. It may be a red Macintosh. It may, whatever it may be. It may be something with worms in it. I don't know. But you have a picture in your mind. You ever think about this? If, 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 if you go to give, if you go to, to give direction to something, if I, if I mention to you your bedroom, your mind doesn't go through and define architecturally what it is. You picture something, don't you? That word is associated with a picture in your mind, and that picture motivates us, and it moves us, and it affects us. There's a style of painting called the Impressionist painting. And what it is, is it's, it's, not, it's not designed for how accurate the scenery is. It's designed to give you an impression. And the Impressionist paintings discover, painters discovered they would do that by taking paintbrushes, put them in oil, and then do splotches like this. And if you stand up too close, it just looks like a bunch of splotches. But when you step back, you can see there's a pattern to these splotches that creates this beautiful landscape that gives you this impression so that you feel like you're in that scene. So, So we must realize that every thought, every thought that comes to your mind is potentially a dot in some picture. And you've got to decide whether you want that picture or not. Images 
and this is maybe the best way to describe it, are like dreams. A dream is a series of pictures or things that go on in your mind. Now, my, most of my dreams don't make any sense at all. They're real to me while I'm going through them, but very seldom could I get up, wake up and tell you even begin to describe what it is. But you notice when you have this, but they're very, they can be so real that your body's reacting to them. Be so real that when you wake up, you're sweat. We're in church. You perspire in church. You don't sweat in church. But you're perspiring, and your heart's thumping like this, boom, 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 boom. And you wake up, and you can be, you know, out of breath, or you can be just, oh, I want to get back into that dream. That was wonderful. But it's so real to you that even your body's reacting to it, and you never went anywhere. Some people have recurring dreams of falling off of a cliff or standing in front of a congregation without any clothes on, or and it creates an emotional reaction as if you were actually there and you haven't left your bed. That's how powerful images are to us. They, can, they affect our emotions, they can affect our will, and they're operating and we're not always aware that they're operating. But notice this, this is what's important to notice about a dream. You ever notice what happens when you wake up? Ever try to describe it to somebody? You're trying to, a good dream especially, you're trying to hold on to it, and then you try, the moment you try to put it into words, what happens to it? It just evaporates. So it wasn't real, was it? The only place that dream existed, this is very important to understand what we're going to learn, because we're going to learn how to take strongholds apart. But a stronghold is made up of images, and an image is made up of thoughts. And we have to understand that as strong as that image is, as much as that image has driven you, the only place that image exists is in your head, in your mind. That's important to understand. Because remember, in the dream, you're reacting to that charging locomotive. You're reacting to that fall off of the cliff as, as if it were actually happening to you. So much so that your body is physiologically responding as if you're actually going through it. And yet it only exists in your mind. That's how powerful these images are. That's how powerful these images are. This is the heart of the course. This is the real heart of this course because this is the part you can begin to understand this and then learn to apply what we're going to learn because of what your understanding is. That's the essence of renewing your mind. Now, here's the thing about an image. It only exists in your mind that means you can replace it. In fact, I'm told that professional golfers, part of their, their training as a professional golfer isn't just how they swing the club, it's what they do with their mind. Because they'll tell you that a large percentage of their... Because most of them, they're all very skilled. There are only a few that are, so, that are at a higher level. But what, you never wonder why these guys that practice so many times, that they, they, they can go out, you know, one, for, for one tournament, two tournaments in a row, they may win something. They're the greatest thing since, you know, Ben Hogan or whatever it is. And the next week somebody else wins, and they're now, they've, you know, they're five strokes behind. How come? Because a lot of that game, as it is a lot of, a lot of athletics, is up here. So one of the things that I've watched one of these shows... I saw a golfer do. He says, I will never allow myself, if I've, taken, if I've had a bad shot, I will never allow myself to swing that club until in my mind I've re-hit that shot. In fact, if you'll see them, if you ever watch it, the, the hole, they, they'll stand behind the hole, behind the ball, and look at it. 
they're not just lining their shot up. In their mind, they're seeing that ball go where they want it to go. They're seeing it in their mind. We'll talk about this down the road. They're trying to get a positive image in their mind that's going to affect their confidence and their swing. So they're trying to change a negative image because they may have just hit a shot over out of bounds and now they've got to hit the second shot from where they hit that first shot knowing the last time I hit it, it went, whew, I know what that's like. And so they have to erase that by replacing that with a different image. And this is very important to understand. Although that image in your mind is very powerful, it can affect your emotions because it only exists in your mind, you can change it. In fact, many of them need to be changed. You can change that image. An image may be... This is the next point. An image may be of something that's true, but the image itself is not the truth. Do you have that picture? Can you put that picture up? That's my grandson, Jonathan. This is about a year ago. He's now about to be 11, going on 30. I just made a misstatement. That's not Jonathan. He's home doing his homework. That's not Jonathan. That's a picture of Jonathan. So although that's an accurate picture, that's what Jonathan looked like now. That's an image of Jonathan, but that image isn't Jonathan. It's just an image. And when I see that picture, I get an emo- I saw there's a smile on his grandmother's face because she didn't know I was going to do that. Just to see, there's a, that's, but that's not Jonathan. In fact, I could show you a picture of him when he was two. And that's an accurate picture of what he looked like when he was two. That actually is a picture. But that's not the truth of Jonathan now. So the images that you have in your mind, they're really in your mind. They're really there and they're real to you. But that does not mean they're the truth. I'm going to say that this is very important to understand because we're so used to not discerning that in our mind and so we have these images that we don't even realize we're reacting to them as if they're real because we don't realize we've got to step back and look at those images and decide, is this the truth? Especially when we talk about images of what I'm like and who I am or images of God and what God's like and what He is. Those are critical images to have straight in here. And all kinds of thoughts all your life have been building in to form an image in your mind of what God's like, to form an image in your mind of what you like. It starts as a little child and how your parents or whoever raised you responded to you. If they kept saying, look, you can't ever do anything right. Your big sister is always doing this. How come you can't be like that? Those are thoughts that have been planted in your mind, sewn into your mind, and nobody realized what an effect they're having, but they're being formed into something in your mind that now has gone beyond an image. It's a stronghold. And it affects you. I shared with you last week about when I was 45 years on the... Go over here and say it. When I was 45 years old, my father called me. He was upset about something. He was totally wrong about what he was upset about, but he never gave me a chance to explain. And he's... He's just tearing into me for about 40 minutes 
And I'm just standing there, listen, and I'm 45 years old. I'm a successful lawyer at a large firm in Boston. I've got more education than he's had. I'm more successful than he was. And when I got off the phone, my wife said, why did you stand there and do that? I said, because when I heard his voice, I'm 10 years old inside. That stronghold rises up and paralyzed me. My mind understood it, but I couldn't control it because I hadn't learned how to do what we're talking about now. You can take his shining face down now. So, But the point here is, you need to understand that although an image is real to you in your mind, that does not mean it's an accurate reflection of what it's a picture of. So you've got to learn to measure the images against what the truth is. And we'll talk about that. Okay. So even though the image is not real, it has a controlling influence on you as if it were real. Such as a dream, a vivid dream. It's interesting. The story that's in, in, the, in the Gospels of Peter walking on the water. It's in the Gospel of Matthew. The story of them going to the other side and going through the storm and Jesus walking in the water is in all of them. But in Matthew, there's a little different version where Peter says, Lord, if that's you, bid me to come. And Jesus said, come. And Peter got down out of the boat. We've talked about this in a number of contexts lately. And he actually walked on the water. Somewhere along the line, he began to think about what he was doing. Because when he got out of the boat, all he was thinking about was come and all he was looking at was Jesus. He was, oh, this is good. He was looking at someone that was doing it. So he had an image in front of him. Some, he's never seen a man walk on water before, but there was somebody walking on water. And as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus who was walking on the water, and he put his trust in the word come, Peter, a man, got out of the boat and walked on that water in the middle of a storm that was so bad, the other eleven thought they were going down. Somewhere along the line, Peter's mind started working. And he started not just noticing where he was, but he began to have thoughts about where he was. And what he suddenly realized is where he was did not line up with the image of himself that he had because he did not have an image of himself of walking on water. There was a speaker here a number of years ago, quite a few years ago. Now, uh, and he's a pastor of a church in, in, in Switzerland, Peter Hassler. He was here, and he was, I think it's him. He was, he was exercising. He was working out. And it was a wonderful story because he talked about how he built, he'd been able to bench press up to, I don't know what it was, 200 pounds. And so he came in one day, and he put the weights on, and he gets on the bench, and he starts doing the exercises. And when he finished, he got off and looked at and he had 40 pounds more on there than he thought. And he goes, hey, I just lifted 40 pounds more than I've ever lifted before in my life. Wow. So he comes in the next time, and he puts the extra 40 pounds on, because his mind says, because I did it then, I can do it now. And he got on the bench and went to lift it, and he couldn't do it. Because when he did it before, he thought he was only lifting 200. And he had an image of himself because he knew he'd worked his way up to 200. But he did not have an image of himself of lifting 240. Even though he was lifting 240, he didn't have an image, didn't have an image of himself. And that image controls what you can do. 
So now he comes in, his mind, his intellectual part says, oh, I obviously am capable of lifting 240 because I did it last week. But he hadn't changed the image of himself. And it wasn't what his intelligence told him, just like my intelligence said, you don't have to stand here and take this for 40 minutes because you haven't done anything wrong and he's talking to you like a child and you're not a child anymore. That was my intelligence, but it wasn't my intelligence that was controlling me, it was this image inside that was controlling me. And I suspect that all of us are dealing with that in one level or another, and especially as it comes to changing the image of who we are in Christ. During this crusade, Pastor Hagen talked on one of the nights about, I think it was Sunday night, about the most important thing as a Christian to begin to renew your mind to is who you are in Christ. What's happened in this relationship? And that you're a child of God because it opens the door to all the privileges of prayer. All, faith, all, every door is open through that. But that's, not a, gonna, that, that's part of what you have to renew your mind to because we've all been raised with different images of a father and a child's relationship with each other. And so that image has to be examined and looked at. And Peter's out there in the water, so Peter has to, he couldn't do it, even though his mind says, I did it last week, because he hadn't brought his image of what he could do up to that level. Peter did not have his image of himself as somebody walking on water, and the moment he became self-conscious, he began to sink, because that didn't fit in with his image of himself. And I suspect some of you have experienced something like that. Maybe you stepped out in ministry. Maybe you stepped out in giving. Maybe you stepped out in something and you just stepped out on an impulse and then all of a sudden you begin to think about it. Whoa, 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 whoa. I can't do that. And you begin to pull yourself back in again. Now the most important images that we have to have are the, and we already covered this, the image of God inside of us. How we see God. Because it affects how you relate to Him. Many of you were raised in churches where God was presented to you in a particular way, that He was authoritarian, that He was, that he was stern, that He was demanding, that He was legalistic, and others were raised in different kinds of churches. And that way that those series of thoughts formed an image in you which eventually becomes a stronghold, and it affects your relationship with God. And that's why we have to go back to the Word of God and renew our mind to what the God says about Himself in the Word not what some tradition is that I was taught, either by my parents or by the pastor or priest or whoever it was. Okay. Now, here's the good news about all this. Because what we're going to expose, I trust, is these images and strongholds in your own life. And the, when we get to the process of changing them, the good news is it may have taken you 45 years to get where you are today, but it won't take 45 years to undo it. That's the good news. But the first thing is to understand that can change. Because, and this is the good news, this is why I went through this exercise with a picture of Jonathan and everything. Because that image, listen carefully, because that image only exists in your mind, it can be changed by your mind. You don't have to go track it down and change the image somewhere outside of you. All you have to do is change what's already inside of your mind. You don't have to go change circumstances. You just have to change the image that you have of that situation or of that person or of yourself that's in your mind. And it's changed by creating a new image to replace. You can't, you can't erase that image. It's there. You cannot erase that image. But we're going to learn what you can do is replace it with something that's newer 
and especially if you replace it that's something with something that's of God and out of the Word of God because it has a greater authority. So you can't take the old image apart, but you can replace it. The other thing is, if you don't feed that image all the time, it will begin to fade. So we're going to learn how to stop feeding the image, the old image, and begin to create a new image that replaces it. Okay. And the last part of this we're going to introduce tonight, we may not get through all of it, is a stronghold. So it's thoughts, imaginations, and strongholds, and they build on each other. A stronghold is, our, is an image that has become so real that it controls you. It's so established that one thought triggers the whole image. It's like a computer program. Those of you who are the computer geeks or programmers will understand that although you know, we move a mouse or all the fancy stuff we do now, touch a screen, what's happening is underneath there, there's a whole bunch of code that's written. That one touch, one move of the mouse, one click of something triggers a whole bunch of thousands of lines of code and instruction. One click does all of that to produce one result. A window opens or something like that. And that's how your mind works. So that's how you've got a couple that's been married for 35 years and they have this routine they go through at the breakfast table. She puts the food out there, he sits down, he puts the paper up and all it takes is one look. All it takes is one, and somebody else in the room would have no idea what just happened, but all of a sudden there's sparks flying, and it's like you went from A to Z, and you don't know how you got there. That's a stronghold. A stronghold is like with my father. I hear his voice, I, I'm a ten, I, immediately this 10-year-old child comes out of nowhere inside of me. And so that's a stronghold. What that is is an image that's been there so long that it's embedded in there. You have computers, you have these things called screensavers, you know, where, where these things move around and things like that. And the reason for that is because that screen is made up of a series of dots that are photosensitive. If that image remains there long enough, it becomes embedded in those photocells so that it's, it becomes a permanent part of it. And that's what a stronghold is. It's an image that's made up of... Remember, an image is made up of dots... And a stronghold is made up of an image that's been there so long, it takes over and it becomes part of the, your reality. Okay. And these are the things we're really struggling against. These are the things that are limiting us with God. These are the things that are affecting, even though you read the Word of God about healing or you read the Word of God about a forgiveness and you have trouble receiving it. You sit in a message about how much God loves you and the, the anointing just pouring out and the love of God is just oozing out all over the place and you feel condemned. And then you know you're feeling condemned and you know there's something wrong with you and you feel more condemned. That's because that truth is running into a stronghold in you and it reinterprets everything. So it reinterprets something that's good and now it gets filtered through the stronghold and it has to turn around into something that's bad because your image of yourself is, I could never do that. I'm such a bad person. I could never produce good kids. So there's got to be something wrong somewhere. I could never be a success because there's something wrong with me. And that projects into what I can do. So even though I've just, even though I've just, you know, won the Olympic medal in the, in the 100 meter dash, there's something wrong with me. The story I read of Cary Grant, one of the best known movie stars ever. 
at the tide of his career because when he was a young boy, his, I forgot what happened to his father, but his mother began to have trouble. He ran away from home when he was like 14 or 15 years old and his mother ended up in a mental institution and he ended up with some theater guys and ended up, you know, long story, he ends up in Hollywood and he ends up as the number one star, you know, one of the number stars of all time, you know. And somewhere at the height of his career, he went back to, over to England to find his mother. Here's one of the most famous faces in the world and she comes to see him and she made some dero- when she saw him, she made some derogatory remark about him. And it's like, inst- here's all this success and he was like a child again. That we carry that around and it affects us. And we have to deal with that. And the way to deal with that is to replace, the way to deal with to replace the stronghold is to replace it with a new stronghold. And the way you replace the stronghold is to create a new image. That if you have that image there long enough, it becomes a new stronghold. And the way you create an image is with new thoughts. You don't try to get rid of the old one because you can't, it's in there. But what you try to do is you stop feeding the old one and you start creating a new one which will eventually take over and, and out, out pow, overpower the old one. Why? Because we're going to create new ones that are lined up with God's Word. Because they're based on the truth. And they're called and anointed by God. They're mighty through God to do this. It's what God has ordained to bring the images that we live with of ourselves, of God, and of one another in line with the truth as He has ordained that truth. So that's what a stronghold is. And that's what we're really struggling at. Because it's, only made up of, because it's made up of images and these images only exist in our mind, then, 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 it, 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 uh, then we can change it. Because it's only in our mind it can be changed. It's changed by replacing the images that are made up of it. And the images are changed by putting new dots in. So the goal, the goal for what, renewing our mind is that the Word of God becomes our stronghold. The goal of all of this, of renewing your mind, is God's Word becomes a stronghold. So that any thought that comes to you about you, about God, about any situation that is, does not line up with God's Word cannot get in because you have a stronghold of what God is like. You have a stronghold of what God, how God sees you and what God has done for you. I remember uh, when we first went to Bible school, uh, we went to a church... Uh, because Raymond didn't have a church at the time. And Sunday night they had uh, Oral Roberts' son came for a healing service there. And he starts out by saying in the service, he says, we're going to pray for the sick and you've got to understand it's hard for me to imagine that, that, that you're not going to be healed. And he said, the reason is I grew up a little boy sitting on the edge of the platform watching my father minister to people every night. And every night I saw people come out of wheelchairs. I saw people healed. I saw blind eyes open. That's how I was raised. And I listened to him, and I'm thinking, isn't that interesting? I was raised in a home where we watched your father's crusades, and my parents sat around and criticized him. Watching the exact same things, what happened was being interpreted to me one way, and was being interpreted to him to another way. So I sat at that meeting saying, it's hard for me to imagine anybody's going to get healed. And therefore, I knew I had some work to do to renew my mind. So this is where we're going to begin to work with because the goal is for God's Word to become our, the stronghold in our mind. And it is these strongholds. Remember back when we put all the things on the left-hand side, which were what God has put in us, 
and then we saw the right-hand side of the column, which is what we're actually experiencing, and then we saw the left-hand side was the legal side, and the right-hand side was the vital, what we're experiencing. It, are these, it is these strongholds in our life that's keeping all those things that God's put in us that were on the left-hand side from being experienced on the right side. That's the, what's holding the life of God, the anointing of God, the love of God. It's what's holding all of these things back are these strongholds that have been built into us about who I am, what I'm really like, what God's really like, what God's character is like, what I can depend on, what is, can I trust His Word. Those kinds of strongholds are what's holding it back. And so as we learn how to renew these things, what's going to happen is the very life of God is trying to force its way out already. And we'll, make, we'll begin to line up with it and it will begin to come out of us. I'll end with this, um, with this principle. What God has done for us will become more real to us. Interesting, if you look at Jesus' relationship with his disciples, he kept stretching them. When they came to him and said, we don't have enough food, let's send them into the, in the village. He said, no, no, you feed them. And they said, we've done a survey, there's not enough food here. He said, well, what do you have? And they said, we got a boy's lunch. He said, bring it to me. And he brought it to them, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them to serve. He was always stretching them, sending them out to do things. It's interesting, Jesus never, ever criticized anybody for believing too much. He only ever criticized them for believing too little. That's an insight into what God is like. Well, that's too much to believe. That's not the way God thinks. All things are possible to him who believes. I'll end with this scripture. It's not up there. Ephesians 1.18. Paul's prayer was that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. We're going to pick up here next time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that your word gives us understanding of how our minds work and how you designed it. We come to you from a world that's fallen. We come out of homes where we've been raised that are fallen. And many of us have been injured. Some of us have come out of wonderful homes, but still they're images that have been built into us. And so we come to you tonight just as we are. We desperately need healing in our lives. But Lord, we know that you've given us your word as a means to do that. And so we ask you, Father, to take the understanding that we've received tonight and begin by the Holy Spirit to shine the light in our own life, to recognize those strongholds in our life, to recognize the images that are operating and affecting us and begin to become more sensitive to the thoughts that make them up. And we thank you, Father, that where we ask you for understanding, you give us this understanding in Jesus' name. Amen.